Hello, Steve. Can Hello. you hear me? Make sure Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Um, make sure I have your name right. Louisa Lim, correct? Yes, that's right. I can't Absolutely. mess that up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people do all the time. Don't worry about it. All right. Well, we're good. Well, I see you. Uh, you were with Ben. You know, I thought I. It's funny how people probably tell you this. I think I've heard your voice before, and I see you've been on NPR. So. Oh yeah, I was the NPR Beijing correspondent for seven years. So you probably heard yeah. my voice there. Um, <laughs> you you probably you know was one of those British voices on NPR, like Phil Reeves or Rob Gifford, <laughs> that kind of flitted across your consciousness at some point. That's right. Well, it always sounds good, so I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll get started, and uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. Oh, it's a pleasure. We've got Louisa Lim on the line, uh, the author of Indelible City. This is a book about Hong Kong, and an area that Louisa knows well. She, you grew up there. You you went there when you were five, right? That's uh, right. And uh, now she teaches at. Uh, uh, University of Melbourne in Australia, but has been a correspondent for BBC NPR in both China and Hong Kong. And it's just a fascinating story. How do you tell somebody about Hong Kong in light of what's happened with China? Uh, because it seems like such a dramatic confrontation. And obviously it's, it's been in the news. Well, it, it's funny how you know this as a journalist, People and then now we've got Ukraine and, and Russia dominating because of, of what's going on. So that kind of pushes the Hong Kong thing to the side. But it's no less a, a travesty, is it? That's right. I mean, I really wanted to tell the story of Hong Kong and not just the story of the massive protest movement that kind of rolled through the city in 2019, when two million of the city's seven million inhabitants were out on the streets protesting. But I really wanted to dig further back and look at the story of Hong Kong as a whole. And the way that I've chosen to do that is through the prism of this person who called himself the King of Kowloon. So he was, his real name was Zhang Zhou Choi, and he was an elderly um, trash collector, disabled, possibly with mental health challenges. And he believed that the peninsula of Kowloon opposite Hong Kong had been stolen from his family uh, when it was given to the British back in the 19th century. And he spent half a century writing in really bad calligraphy his claims to the land on the walls of the city. And he became this kind of folk hero, you know, uh, singers uh, sang ballads and rap songs to him. Poets wrote odes to him. He stored He's he's um, starred in adverts and he became the territory's most most valuable artist. The king of Kowloon. Um, and it, where is the king now? Unfortunately, the king died in 2007, but I think his his influence still lasts. So last year they opened this massive new um, museum of visual culture called M plus. And the first thing that you saw when you enter the, the museum is these great big pair of doors, which is covered with the King of Kowloon's graffiti. I mean, he's really kind of like a foundational figure in Hong Kong. And I felt like he his story summed up so many of these themes of territory and sovereignty and dispossession and loss. Now, we were talking 
Uh, we're talking with Louisa Lynn about Lim about her book, The Indelible City. And and when you say the indelible city, that sounds like it's it's carrying on despite all these things that have happened to a British takeover, a Chinese takeover. Uh, what is your vision for Hong Kong uh, moving ahead in the future? Well, I mean, I, I, I do think that like the King of Kowloon's calligraphy, he often went back to the same places. And every time he wrote at a certain place, the government would send out workers and they'd paint over it and he'd come back and he'd paint at the same place. So you have sort of layers upon layers of his calligraphy all over the city. And I think that, you know, Hong Kong is changing, but it has always been a city in flux. It's always been a city in motion. And, you know, it's a city where the people who live there are incredibly pragmatic. So what we are seeing now is this huge outflow of Hong Kong residents. Hong Kongers are going to other countries, partly because of the crackdown after the protest movement and partly because of Hong Kong's zero COVID measures, which are incredibly draconian. Um, and so we're seeing the birth of these new Hong Kong communities, you know, all over the world. And these are, I think, you know, the, we've seen in since, I mean, since December, 150,000 people have left Hong Kong. That's a lot in a, um, you know, in a place with 7 million inhabitants. Right. Um, so I think, you know, we are seeing the birth of new communities. Is there a, is there a chosen uh, place of, of exodus? I mean, is it the United States or Mexico or, or is there any one country that is drawing more residents from Hong Kong? I mean, a lot of them, a lot of Hong Kongers are going to the UK because uh, it has offered um, people with a certain kind of passports uh a passage to settle in the UK. Um, so we are seeing a lot of Hong Kongers settling there. But I think, you know, for people inside Hong Kong, the situation, it looks quite grim. You know, the next chief executive is being chosen at the moment. And there's only one person in the running, the former Secretary of Security, John Lee, who's a real hardliner. It's, you know, it's a, a clear sign that Beijing wants to clamp down even further, that security is going to be their number one um, focus moving forward. Um, now, you, your interest, your uh, position is interesting here because you are a journalist. Uh, you've covered Hong Kong. You grew up in Hong Kong. You know China. You Now, we should say, Louisa Lim, you wrote a book, The People's Republic of Amnesia, Tiananmen Revisited, the, the, of course, the revisiting the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre. And, and I think I remember in the press notes, you said when you wrote that book, you knew you wouldn't be allowed back into China for a number of years. That, was that right? You, did, you couldn't get back there? That's right. And, and now you can? Um, no, I mean, now I wouldn't go back uh, to China. And unfortunately, you know, returning to Hong Kong, I think, is now off the cards for me for the foreseeable future as well. Um, in the last couple of years, there's been a real clampdown on people who talk about Tiananmen openly in Hong Kong and the um, association that organizes 
the vigils. So Hong Kong was the only place on Chinese soil where people were allowed to publicly remember those who died on June the 4th, 1989 in Beijing. And the vigils were huge, you know, uh, in 2019, it it was 190,000 people. It's sort of really emotional gatherings because people would remember there because they knew that remembering in in China was no long was no longer permissible. So they were really carrying that memory forward. And now there's been a real clampdown on that. Uh, the organization that organizes the vigils, uh, those organizers, a lot of them have had charges laid against them. So unfortunately, uh, I think Hong Kong is off limits for me as well. Now, as a as a former resident, as how would you describe growing up in Hong Kong? Because obviously it's it has changed. You've just described the, the clampdown that's both in effect and it's perhaps could get worse. What what about your upbringing there? What do you what do you how do you describe that to people? Well, my upbringing was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, I my father's Chinese, my mother's British and I grew up really as a child of colony there. Um, it was almost like a colonial bubble. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at it, I find it quite extraordinary. You know, we didn't ever study anything about our own history, about Hong Kong history. And that was something that was very deliberate on the part of the government. You know, they had judged that the way in which Hong Kong became British was really so shameful that Hong Kongers, perhaps it was better, they didn't really know the details. So we never knew our own history. And I think it was a real attempt by the British government at the time to kind of keep us from developing an identity as Hong Kongers, you know, really keeping Hong Kongers suspended in this sort of non-space between Britain and, and China. But at the same time, it it was um, in many ways, you know, a fantastic place to grow up at that time. It was, you know, really thriving, you know, a sort of entrepot city, the window for China to the world. And it felt like a, a real place of potential and possibility. And, you know, what's really sad is the way that's been closed off today. You know, when I, without knowing, what you know, uh, and, and the people you know that uh, represent Hong Kong and China, it, 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 it sort of looks like a, a fascinating study in cultures where you have China, where you have the uh, sort of the East meets West uh, in, in one place. And obviously with, with all kinds of ramifications, the uh, colonial type thing that, that probably uh, was long out of style. It, it does represent a unique place. And unfortunately, I guess we're going to lose that place. Or, or is that your thinking? Uh, I mean, the sort of East meets West uh, idea of Hong Kong is really kind of, I think it really runs through a lot of Hong Kong culture. So, you know, you have these special kind of tea houses in Hong Kong where where, where even the food is this sort of peculiar mixture of East and West. One of the f- most famous things that you can drink is this, it's called Yuyang 
yin yang tea and it's coffee and tea mixed but it's reinvented it's completely a new drink that hong kong has made using this sort of combination of east and west it sounds (laughs) disgusting it's really quite delicious (laughs) i was Um, gonna say how has starbucks missed that one Uh, you know (laughs) yeah no starbucks should really get onto that (laughs) I mean, as for the future, Hong Kongers are very pragmatic people, and we've seen this huge outflow of Hong Kong people. And I think what we're going to see is the birth of Hong Konger communities in various places across the world. I mean, you know, in many ways, Hong Kongers are ideal migrants, very highly educated, very mobile, very international, and willing to work incredibly hard. So what we will see is the birth of these communities elsewhere. I think the future of Hong Kong, really, Beijing sees it as just one city, um, just a part of what it calls its greater Bay Area. So that's a sort of a series, a number of cities along the south coast of China, and Hong Kong is just one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think many people think things like the COVID zero policy and the clampdown is really to try and um, pull Hong Kong back. So it becomes just a part of the greater Bay area rather than, you know, this sort of preeminent city that it always has been. Um, But, you know, I would say uh, Hong Kong is a very resourceful city. I wouldn't, you know, there's still life in the city yet. Well, you mentioned the COVID uh, was, was draconian. The the uh, what, what give us some details. What 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 is like you can't go to places you I mean, what what is the uh, what are the restrictions? Well, it's it's very interesting. So the the timing of covid has meant that the zero covid policies are really being used to clamp down in all kinds of ways. So in order to stop the spread of covid, Uh, They stopped public gatherings. And so first, um, no more than four people could gather. And then that became no more than two people. So you're even seeing families of four being fined for walking around in public together. Um, They also separated uh, children with COVID who were COVID positive from their parents, sometimes children as young as one or two years old. And this has just led to this sort of enormous and very fast exodus, people leaving so fast that they're actually abandoning their expensive cars and car parks because, you know, the prospect of being separated from your baby for three weeks is just unthinkable. Wow. And so it's, it's, yeah, you you mentioned the, the protest in 2019, and then of course 2020 brought us COVID. So that you're right, that, that would have been a, a curtain coming down on on a lot of the protests. Did it move underground, or or was there was it still kind of simmering hostility, or how would you describe what's happened since 2019? Well, what happened in June 2020 was that China introduced, it imposed national security legislation on Hong Kong, and that outlawed sedition, um, subversion, collusion with foreign powers, and terrorism. But these offenses have been so poorly defined, and the legislation has been really um, used quite widely. So almost 200 people have been charged under this legislation. But all kinds of things 
have been kind of bundled under this. So we've had recent cases where six people were charged with sedition for clapping in a courtroom. Oh. Uh, pe- people have been charged, uh, a number of speech therapists were charged with sedition, were charged um, for children's books, which were thought to incite hatred against the government. And, you know, people have even been charged for possessing stickers with banned phrases on them. A third of those um, charges have been for speech crimes. So this clampdown has been incredibly fast and incredibly draconian. And it has meant that combined with COVID, as, as you've pointed out, has really meant that the space for uh organizing and political protest has disappeared but i you know i don't think that means that the grievances have gone away it's just that there has been no way at the moment to express them but when you you know when you've had as many as two million people in a with a population of seven million coming out to protest that's really sizable proportion of the population it's amazing what we're talking with Louisa Lim, author of Indelible City about Hong Kong. One one last thing, Louisa. I I didn't hear this, but I saw there was a a notation that you had done a podcast on China's position in the Ukraine-Russian conflict. And or it's I think it was described or there was a title, a win-win for China or something like that. How, what is the deal here? Because, well, I mean, we here in the United States, we're aghast at what's going on. China apparently is not aghast at what's going on. What's, the, what's your take on this? Yeah, so I, I have a podcast called The Little Red Podcast, and we just did an episode on this. And, I mean, you know, you can see that from the official language used by China's officials and its ambassadors overseas, it's really aping the Russian propaganda messages. Um, So China at the moment is very much trying to tread this middle path. The language is Russian language, but it, so it supports Russia, but it does not want to have sanctions imposed on it in the same way as they've been imposed on Russia. So at the moment, it's, it's sort of treading this quite narrow path um, whereby it's sort of publicly supporting the Russian position, but without, you know, trying to avoid having sanctions placed upon it. But of course, what this does do is it really deflects attention from China. It deflects attention from China's behavior, and it really distracts the Biden administration from anything happening in Asia. So in many ways, that in itself is is a win for China. I see. Yeah, because when one would think, oh, well, what is China? Uh, you know, what is Russia's position in, in the Ukraine? And how would you agree with that? You know, when you invade somebody. But then again, uh, that's, you know, <laughs> that's that's called world politics. Well, Louisa Lim, we thank you so much. You're the author of Indelible City, all about Hong Kong. Uh, best of luck to you. And uh, we will uh, we'll be following up with your next one, whatever that is. You got one in mind yet? <laughs> I have an inkling of an idea, Steve, and I will come back and talk about it when, it, right. when I'm done. Very good. Thank you, Louisa. Take Thank care. you so much. Bye-bye. Goodbye.